0: time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message.
1: Well, these days there is a lot of talk about jurisdiction, and perhaps most commonly about governmental overreach during this time of pandemic and protests. Probably much to some of your dismay, I'm not going to talk about these political issues today, but about the concept, the principle of jurisdiction. Even in the courts, which is where that uh, concept really lies, jurisdiction, it is most technically applicable, there are limits to each court and to each judge. Lack of jurisdiction means a lack of power or authority to act in a particular manner or to give a particular kind of relief. Think about that. Depending on what your lawsuit is about, you will go to a different type of court, a different kind of judge. There are certain judges that have a certain jurisdiction over certain things just based on what they have been assigned to, and perhaps other factors such as their experience or whatnot. Now, let's say you approach a judge or courtroom. Excuse me, not a courtroom, but a judge on the street. And their jurisdiction legally as a judge is outside of what your question is. They still have an understanding of the law. They can still voice their opinion unofficially. He can still have strong feelings about an issue. He can even get angry, enraged about a case or a situation. But if it is outside of his jurisdiction, no matter what he says, no matter what he feels, no matter what he does, it holds no actual authority. This principle is seen outside of the courtroom on a social and even spiritual level. We judge others. It is a sin. It is something we do. We're proud. We have our opinions. The judgment is based on feelings, our thoughts, our experiences, our opinions that are voiced to one that we are judging or voiced to others in the form of gossip. But it doesn't hold any actual authority. What it says or what you say doesn't matter. What other people say about you doesn't matter. And we know this in theory. But that doesn't stop us from judging because we place a premium on our own feelings, our own opinions, our own experiences. We convince ourselves they matter. Our society convinces us that everyone's opinion matters. But we still know that the scriptures forbid judging. So how? How can we as Christians excel still more in this area? Well, our passage this morning gives us some reminders of why we should stop judging. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 as we work our way through 1 Corinthians verse by verse. I'll read that for you in the NAS. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. The reminders of why we should not judge that come from this verse are in the form of limitations. We are limited. We are finite. But God is unlimited. And, infinite. and so in light of that, our outline this morning is four limitations, four limitations that should keep us from judging others, four limitations that should keep us from voicing our judgment or our opinions on others. And as you will see, as I've already started, your judgment really holds no authority. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about these reminders about who we are and who God is that show us how vastly limited we are in our understanding and therefore should not even attempt to judge. Four limitations that should keep us from judging others. The first is the competency limitation. The competency limitation. Still here. The competency limitation is found in the first word of verse 5, therefore. And this goes back to what we looked at over the last two weeks, if you would just turn your eyes to verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians 4 as I read that. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy but to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. So though our point is found in the one, ver, one word, therefore, it is connected to verses 1 through 4. First, the apostles and pastors are to be viewed as merely servants and stewards of the mysteries of God, slaves of Christ and those entrusted with the Word of God. We looked at this. We unpacked this over two weeks. They don't own the word. They don't own their ministry. They don't own the gospel. Like a faithful steward, they're taking something their master has given them, and thus, because of that accountability, because it's not theirs, to do with it not as they please, but as the master wills, as the master has commanded. And so he says, this is what we are, whether it's Peter or Paulus or Paul or anyone else. We are merely stewards. We don't change the message. We don't twist it. We don't use it to make us look good. And we definitely don't keep quiet because we've been commanded to be loud about it. And so we're just stewards. We're slaves. Not in a negative way, in a good way. Slaves of Jesus Christ. We have been purchased by His blood. And so we serve Him and serve Him alone. Not you, not others, not society, not whoever we serve Christ. And we saw that along with this qualification of steward is an assumption that if you are a steward of the mysteries of God, which all Christians are to be, then you will naturally be trustworthy. And that goes in line with what I just mentioned, trustworthy, that you do it and that you present it the way you were given it. Even with all of that, Paul goes on to say that they are not the final say in the value or success of Paul's ministry, verse 3. He even goes on and says he himself is not even the final say, even though his conscience is clear. Ultimately, it is God. Because God sees the heart, it's God's criteria, it's his ministry, it's his word, it is his that you are a steward of. It is his that you are a servant of. In other words, man lacks the competency to judge others' ministry and faith. You can't see the heart. We can only see externals. And even then, we do so with our own biases, our own pride, our own jealousies, our own church background, our own experiences, good or bad, and the list goes on. The things that God uses to shape us is valuable and worthy of thanks and praise, but that does not give us the right or the ability even to judge others or even ourselves. It would be very different if you had the ability, but God said, don't use that ability. We don't even have the ability. We get to verse 5, and he starts with the word, therefore. Everything he is about to say about man's judgment and God's final verdict is based on this foundation, that only God is the judge, and what he is judging is the service and stewardship of us all. And so we've seen from our review that there is a limitation in our ability to judge because we are incompetent. We are limited by our competency or lack thereof, but there's more. Secondly, the second limitation that should keep us from judging others is the chronology limitation. The chronology limitation. Paul writes, Do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes. There is a proper time that is yet to come in which judgment will be appropriate. But we've already seen that regardless of the timing, the judgment is still not ours to partake in. And that will be very clear when this time comes, when the day of the Lord comes, because he's going to be here and even our desire to judge will be so shocked by his presence and his holiness. It is only the Lord's. It is still the Lord's judgment. Don't be confused by the the terminology here. We are to stop judging now. It is not time. There is a time coming, and when the time does come, the truth is still the truth. Only God can judge. It is the Lord's. And take note that even with his judgment, the day is yet to come. God is not being impatient Or demanding to judge right now as we do. I know you're busy. I have something to say right now. I gotta tell you this right now. It can't wait. Gotta call you, gotta text you, you gotta respond right now. My opinion matters. Listen right now. And even God, God is waiting. The time that the Lord comes are references to the second coming of Christ when Jesus returns as the judge. And with this future event as our point of reference, there are two things that Paul tells us. First, from the text, he says, stop judging. Stop passing judgment or pronouncing judgment in the ESV. Last week, we saw that what he was talking about was an evaluation that leads up to a verdict. Here he's talking about the verdict. This is a call to avoid definitive verdicts. He's wrong. He's in sin. He's doing things the wrong way. And more specifically, Paul is saying, don't make premature judgments. So not only is the time not right for judgment, you're being sinfully judging by doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, and you're doing it prematurely. This is, a, this is a judgment that God has planned for a specific day. After people's ministries have bef- been fully completed over a lifetime, after the course of the world as He wants it has been fulfilled up to that day. So stop judging. Stop passing judgment before the time. The second thing He wants to tell us is to respect and honor God's timing. Wait until the Lord comes. Because if only God can judge, then it is only when He decides to judge that any judgment is valid. And it's not yet. Now we know that He's not up there in heaven trying to figure out when to come. He has placed the timing already in His plan. It is set. We just don't know what the time is. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour, but it is set. We can guess, we can assume. Right? Are we moving forward towards it? Are we close? Is COVID and their desire to track COVID just part of the, the, the ushering into the mark of the beast? I will tell you this. Very definitively. We're closer today than we were yesterday. That's all I'm going to say. Acts 17.31, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed. That's Acts 17.31. Matthew 24.36, Jesus says that the Father knows the day and the hour that this will take place. So it is already set. And again, any judgment that comes before this time will be invalid because it's not from God and it's before the time. It is premature. It is faulty. It is partial. It is inconclusive. It is illegal. Here's a practical summary. When we judge others, not only are we insolently doing that which only God can do, but we are arrogantly challenging His timing. When we judge others, not only are we insolently doing that which only God can do, but we are arrogantly challenging his timing. Can't wait. You ever feel this way? Right? Someone's doing something, and there's only so many police in the world, and like, where's a cop when you need him? Why can't a cop be here right now? Look at what he's doing. He's dumping again. Or whatever it is that's annoying you. And we do that. Sometimes I know God's going to judge, but he needs to know now. He needs to know what I think. No, he doesn't keep quiet and wait. And this is for believers and unbelievers, right? Now is not the time, nor do you have the ability to judge believers. That's the specific context, but this applies as we know from elsewhere in scripture of others as well. Unbelievers don't judge them. I mean, there are certain truths that, you know, Right, they're depraved. They don't have have Christ. It's natural. You're not being incredibly wise as a Christian by saying, "Well, they're doing that because they're just enslaved to sin." We know that. That's a theological truth. That's a statement. That's not a judgment. That is truth. But when we start thinking we're better than them or we're smarter than them, you've heard me say this before, especially when it comes to your salvation and your understanding of God's morality. When you judge the world unbelieving world and think you're better than them that you've missed the whole point of the gospel because the gospel is about grace and what Christ has done. Not about you, not about your smarts, not about your judgment. So just stop judging. Paul's talking again about a final verdict which determines the worth of a lifetime of service and sonship. Now, this is important. As the other stuff wasn't. No, I'm just kidding. It's all important. This doesn't mean that Christians are to get rid of all judgment. And I want you to listen to me carefully because in the English, we use the same word. In your English Bibles, it's the same word, what we are prohibited from doing and what we are commanded to do. But when we talk about what the Bible calls us to do in terms of judging others, it's probably better understood as being discerning or discriminating versus a final verdict that only God can do. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'll tell you straight from 1 Corinthians in chapter 5. Paul will tell this wayward church to judge those within the church for the sake of removing the wicked. Right? We practice church discipline. This is a, a form of being discerning and judging. Very different, though, than what God does. Then in chapter 6, he confronts the practice of taking other Christians to court and saying you must judge within the church. Judge disputes between Christians. Don't take them to a government judge. See, there's a time and a place and even a responsibility for Christians to judge in this way. But think very carefully of those two examples that we will see in a few weeks from Paul in 1 Corinthians. The wicked man who Paul asked the church to judge, is someone who is clearly in sin and claiming that we can't know his heart is not a valid excuse. You have repeatedly stolen money. You are clearly lying. You have admitted you are sleeping with someone who is not your wife. Okay? We can judge those things. We can practice church discipline, confront, rebuke. The second example was settling disputes between two people. Again, we, we're not judging the heart, we're deciding who gets this land, or who is the rightful heir of this property, or whatever it may be. And so you see the difference between confronting sin or making a judicious decision for the sake of the church versus making a judgment on someone's heart in their ministry, deciding whether someone's service was right or not in the eyes of God. There are things that are obvious and there's things that are obvious to you but only because you're assuming the worst. And I think we know the difference between fact and imagination or even what you really hope is true because you just want to crush that guy. And so there's a chronology Wait on the Lord. Thirdly, the capability limitation. The capability limitation. Again, we're looking at limitations that should keep us from judging others. He said, but we already had the competency limitation. Very similar with a slight difference. Competence speaks of the state or quality of the work done. We can judge, but not to the degree or the quality that God can. Capability speaks of power and ability. In other words, for our point this morning, it means that there's an inability that God has that we simply don't have, nor can we even acquire. This comes from the middle of the verse. Speaking of God, he says, who will bring to light, who will, excuse me, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Right off the bat, without even executing this, you know you can't do this. Speaking again of Christ's judgment, but also the time when He will judge, what is it that He will do on that day? He will reveal that which has been until that time hidden in the darkness. And secondly, disclose man's motives. Again, all about the heart, all about things that we cannot see and the things that you would need to see to make a proper judgment. Now, before we go on, I need to point out that although darkness is often linked to sin in the scriptures and in our society, that's not the case here. We know this because the end of the verse says, whatever is revealed from the darkness, God will give praise to. He doesn't give praise to sin. So naturally, darkness would just be those things that are unknown to us. They're unknown because we can't see them. They happen in private. They're a matter of the heart. They happened before, whatever. Both the darkness and the heart are inside of a man. Those things which the human eye cannot see. And this goes back to what Paul said in the previous verses regarding the incapability of any man, including oneself, to properly and fully judge the heart. By way of reminder, the heart is not, we're not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood. Uh, This is uh, symbolic. We use this term today, right? We even make a heart symbol with our hands these days. It's the mind. It's the emotion. It's the desires, the attitude. It's the seat of the feelings. It's where the feelings reside. And for the ancient Greek, it would be the central organ that holds the entirety of one's conscious personality which determines the thinking, the feeling, and the willing. Our actions, then, stem from the heart. How we think, how we feel, what we desire, all leads to how we act. And so there is a connection there. But the key is that only God sees the heart, and we know that actions can be deceiving. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 15 the idea of the heart leading to actions, good or bad. I'd like you to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 15. As you go there, let me set this up for you. The Pharisees and the scribes approach Jesus, and this starts in verse 1, but I'm going to summarize. The Pharisees and scribes, they approach our Savior, trying to trick him, trying to trip him up, as we know they were always doing. And they're asking in this particular instance they say why are your disciples not following the Jewish law of the ritualistic washings before eating there was a very serious washing this is look if you're like me at all you are getting tired of washing your hands but this was very intense special water special pouring front back it was it was a very uh, intensive thing And even more intense, given that you didn't have indoor plumbing and running water. And so these disciples are just eating rather than going through this 5, 10, 15-minute ceremonial washing. And of course, these legalistic Jews are saying, "Ah, we got them. Our whole society, our whole culture knows that they're defiled now because of what they just ate with unclean hands. Jesus answers them by telling them a parable And then the disciples later, as we've seen them do in various places, say, what does this parable mean? And so he explains it to them. And his response to them in his explanation of the parable uses sin as the example because of the context of the question that the Pharisees are addressing that they saw something as wrong or sinful. But this principle applies to good deeds, righteous deeds as well. Verses 17 through 20 in Matthew 15. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and then is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. Not the actual words, but the heart.
0: This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org.